You are listening to The Christian Commute, a commute-length podcast about Christian apologetics, theology, and other matters of Christian interest. Here is your host, Seth Dunn. It is Thursday, September 7th. This is The Christian Commute, and you're on the way to the soccer fields with me. But it's not my soccer practice night. It's the team I don't coach. Boring. Boring. Just sit there and socialize. But that's where I'm going, and you're going with me. I have a full show for you today. Hooray! And I have another apology. You can judge how sincere it is. Uh, I forgot. I didn't forget. I just neglected to upload Tuesday's show, so you haven't got it yet. It takes me, I don't know, four to seven minutes to do that because i got to upload it from the phone and then edit the audio file and then upload it to the website. It doesn't take a long time. I just didn't do it because I found lots of other things to do. So, I mean, if I really, really prioritized it, I could find that seven minutes, but I haven't done it. So maybe you'll get a double show tonight when, I, uh, when I'm finished with this one. I'm always somewhere late at night or doing something between soccer and trying to manage my dog from trying to dig out of the fence. I'm having a hard time finding it. You know what I was doing last night, come to think of it? I was working because I I didn't leave work early because I was working at home, but I stopped working early to go to soccer, and then I had to make up the time late at night. So that's what I was doing. And tonight, I have you know I have two jobs. I'm the I'm the neighborhood bookkeeper. I haven't done the end of the month books for that yet, so that may take tonight's priority. But don't worry, I'm recording the episodes, and you can listen to them when they come out. This show is entitled "The Legacy of Sarah Young." The Legacy of Sarah Young. I have a question in the inbox about female deacons. And as always, we have the Bible chapter review. This one took 80% of the sticky note, but it's only three verses. We're in Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 through 31. Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 through 31. But immediately after the tribulation... Of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky. That is referring to Old Testament prophecy. It's in all caps in your New American Standard Bible. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky. That is more Old Testament prophecy. That's from Daniel. That's the same thing he said in Mark to make the high priest rip his robe. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds in the sky with great power and great glory. He will send for his angels and with a great trumpet, another reference to more scripture, 
They will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the sky to the other. Now without a doubt about it, and this, sorry preterists, this is where your position just doesn't hold up. Without a doubt about it, this is talking about the second coming. This is talking about the end of the age. This is not talking about the destruction of Jerusalem and the tribulation to that day. This is talking about a great cosmic event as prophesied in the Old Testament. This is his coming. This is the coming of the Messiah, the coming back of the Messiah that the disciples were asking about. Without a doubt. This is it. It is after the tribulation of those days. That's the tribulation we've talked about before verse 29. Interesting word here in the English we translate immediately. And this is a Greek word, by the way, that's all over Mark. Immediately this, immediately that, immediately this, immediately that. And when Mark uses it, he it's immediate in the story. It's the next thing in the story. But it's not necessarily like what happened right after, like five minutes later or ten minutes later. The word does mean immediately, like right after this. But obviously, the second coming hasn't happened yet. So it didn't, I don't think Matthew, or Jesus I should say, because Jesus is speaking, Matthew is writing down what he said. I don't think he means chronologically five, ten minutes later. I don't think he means that when he's talking about immediately here. I think he's talking about the next immediate event. Now some people, especially skeptics, may say that's hermeneutical Olympics, but I don't know how else to interpret it. Because this Old Testament prophecy of Jesus coming in the clouds, the, the, the sun being darkened and the stars falling from the sky, when you talk about the host of heaven, you're that's synonymous with angels. Like, yes, stars are stars. We know that. They're big balls of gas that give out light. But in a metaphorical way, it when you talk about the stars of heaven, you talk about the host of heaven. You talk about angels and angelic powers and principalities. And even Jesus says the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then he later refers to angels who are going to gather his elect. We'll get there in a minute. But this is a massive cosmic happening. Okay, This is not, oh, the city's being attacked and it's really bad and there's going to be a great persecution. Flee to the hills. There's nowhere to flee here. The sky is coming apart. And Jesus is coming in on the clouds. So this is a, this is a messianic prophecy fulfilled. This is something they already expected to happen that the Messiah was going to do, and he's saying, I'm going to do it. Now, talk about that term immediately again. We're going to see in verses 31 and onward that we, that we can't know when it's going to happen because it's, it's this anytime expectation. Jesus even has a parable to explain it. So when we talk about the destruction, what we think is the destruction in 70 AD that has already happened, we know that even when that happens, we can say, all right, this has happened now. This next thing can happen. But we don't know like when it's going to happen. It's going to happen quick, but we don't know when. 
So yeah, immediately after the tribulation of those days, here's the stuff that's going to come in the end. It's, it's after the tribulation of those days. It says immediately. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. It hasn't happened yet, and we don't know when it's going to happen. It's like, happen any time. Like, now is the time that we should be expectant of it. Like, it's not like, hey, don't worry. The, the stuff's going to happen you know, 2,000 years from now. You can relax for 2,000 years. It's not like, don't relax for 2,000 years. There's a certain way you're supposed to live. A, li- a way you're supposed to live in expectation. And by the way, the early church lived that way, and we should too. Now, I do not have the resources on the Christian commute, especially the resources of format, to go through all of these Old Testament prophetic verses that Jesus is referring to. You can in your own study, and you should, but what we need to take away is Jesus is going to Scripture to bring those Scriptures to the forefront of their minds and saying, these things are prophesied. And they're going to be fulfilled in me in this manner. These things are prophesied. They're going to be fulfilled in me in this manner. That's the message he's getting. And by by the way, he's not just sitting, sitting around making up new stuff. He's going to the scripture. Jesus is using the scripture as authoritative, not only authoritative, but predictive of, of something that's going to happen. Prophetic. Prophetic is probably a better word than predictive. There's, Brother William predicts Bama's going to beat Texas. All right, he ain't prophesying it. He ain't guaranteeing it. All right. And the tribes of the earth will mourn. Why are the tribes of the earth going to mourn? The Messiah is back because they don't belong to him. All the powers of, of those kings, they're done. All the accomplishments of of their countries, their nations, and their culture, over. Look, we took over all these cities. Think about like the Romans who would sack Jerusalem. Oh yeah, we conquered it again. All right, now there's no sky and the sun just, the sun and moon just melted. What are you going to do now? Melt. Uh, That's my word, not the scripture's word. The sun will be dark and the moon will not give its light. I want you to think about that. The sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light. Go all the way back to the creation account. And the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And, and God splitting up, the separating the light and the darkness. Even with electricity and nuclear power plants, we're pretty much done without the sun. The sun and moon are going to stop their functions. Why? Because they're no longer necessary. Because it's the end. The heavens and the earth are going to be remade. This is a huge happening. I really don't think there's any way to spiritualize this or say, oh, this is apocalyptic. Because you could go into Revelation and say, well, the beast isn't literally a beast. It's representing uh, nation states and countries. You know, it's not really a dragon. You know, these are things represented. And that's, that's fine in apocalyptic literature. You can do that. And part of Daniel could be considered apocalyptic. But holy smokes, what could it mean that the sun and moon aren't going to give their light anymore? 
It's the end. And the tribes of the earth are going to mourn. And when you look forward into the faithful slave and the expectation of Jesus, this is maybe this is just the Baptist in me. Time's up. You're going to hell. You can no longer turn or burn. You're going to burn because you can't turn. God has a people set apart for Himself. That's His Israel. And the church is Israel. And that's who Jesus is coming to gather with the assistance of His angels. We'll get to that in a second. Everybody else ain't getting gathered. Everybody else is done for. And their times of contention are over. All right? And the prophetic, the prophetic verses, a great trumpet will sound. He's going to send his angels to gather his elect from the four winds. Where's that? From everywhere. North, south, east, and west. From one end of the sky to the other. So you, you look up and you see the sky. Where does the sky end? It doesn't. Now, I, I think this is where, by the way, aside, parenthetical, a little bit of a rabbit trail. This is where the skeptics go to say, see, Jesus, how can he be God? He doesn't even know the earth is round. He thinks it's flat because he thinks there's four corners of the earth. And then the flat earthers say, see, God thinks there's the earth is flat, so it must be flat. Guys, this ain't a geography book. We know Jesus knows exactly what he means here. And we should know exactly what he means. He's not talking about the shape of the earth. He's using a term that means everywhere. And this is so much more expansive than just Jerusalem. People focused like they were there on the holy city and all its buildings. Well, the elect are going to be everywhere. Every direction, as far as the wind blows and as far as the sky goes. And with that, we will end the Bible chapter review and we're going to go back to Southern California to Walter. Walter submitted two questions in one email. I'm going to look past that. You know, guys, when you write in to SethDunn88 at gmail.com, you get one question per email. That, that's the preference. And you know why? Because I put a little star next to it in my Gmail. And when I'm done with that one, I write you back and I say, thanks for sending this question in. I covered it yesterday. And I'm over and done with that. That's why we need one question per email, even if it is directly related to the question you already asked. Otherwise, it could get lost in the mix. But it was the only question I had, so who am I to complain? SethDunn88 at gmail.com or you can dial 470-315-0875. The Christian Commute is your theological roadside assistance and I am just overcoming autism every day by letting little things like that go. People who will put two emails, two questions in one email and I'll just get over it. Maybe it's getting older, but I'm just, I am just getting over stuff. Look at me. Look at me progressing. All right. Much, much to the delight of my parents, children, and wife. 
I feel especially bad for my parents because I, I dealt with, I was just in the house. Now I'm gone. I mean, I live down the street, but like, oh, I, maybe, you know, maybe they should have diagnosed me and shelled out for therapy earlier. But now I'm just, just all, all the people I used to work with, I feel sorry for them. And now I'm like, all right, whatever. It's okay. <laughs> oh, yeah, you booked that worker under the wrong account. That's all right. We'll fix it next time. It's not okay. Stop doing it. All right. This is the follow-up question to the other question. Walter first asked about the relationship between deacons and staff members in the inbox. Now he's asking, is it an acceptable practice for women to fill the office of deacon? And he mentions verse 12 or 1 Timothy 3 that says women likewise. to refer to this because he says some people think it's okay for women to be deacons and yes yes Daryl you must not have been listening three to four years ago when we were in first Timothy and I covered this and I said then that yes it is okay for females to be deacons and I am the most conservative person you know so you might not get that interpretation, and doesn't mean it's right or wrong, I'm just saying you might not get that interpretation from other arch-conservative Baptists. And I am an arch-conservative Baptist. Line somebody up on the pew. If we had one big, long pew at First Baptist Church on Sunday, and we lined everybody up from the most conservative to the least conservative, I would be on the end given a slant eye to the people who use their Christian liberty to drink the devil's alcohol and given the slant eye to people who use their Christian liberty to get a tattoo and wear jeans to church. I'm slant eyeing those people. I'm lifting one eyebrow up like the rock. The Rock says you need to look more like independent fundamentalist Baptists. The Rock says you need to stop looking like the world with your alcohol, your tattoos, and your jeans. But people may call me liberal for this. I believe women can be deacons. Why? Because of verse 12 that says women likewise. I think he's I think what Paul is doing is saying, here are the qualifications for elder, and it can only be men. And then he says, here are some qualifications for deacons and the men who are deacons. And it's similar to the qualifications for elders. And then he says, women likewise, because he's saying the women. Now, I don't think he's talking about every woman in the church. I think he's talking about the women who are going to fill the role or office of deacon. Now, to the average Southern evangelical, now you guys are looking at me slant-eyed. And do you want to know why? Do you want to know why, Walter? I don't know what it's like in Southern California, but Walter, around here in these little 70 to 150 member Baptist churches, all the deacons are men, and they function at the church like a board of directors. In other words, they're deacons in title, but they function like elders. And this should not be so. What churches will do is they'll elect deacons from the lay people, and then they'll hire a professional pastor to come in and be the pastor. 
Some, especially these churches that don't have a blue million pastors, like we talked about in the Grave to Cradle series. They just have one. And that guy's the pastor, but the deacons are having board of deacons meetings, and they're deciding things for the church. And it's like, hey, deacons, who gave you the authority to do that? It wasn't the Bible. Diakonos, the Greek word, it just means servant. So how in the world do you think you got authority? There's a difference between deacons and overseers. It's a different office. One has authority and one doesn't. So when we argue for complementarianism, like Paul and Peter did, who were writing the doctrines, we recognize that there is an order in creation of male and female. We recognize patriarchy, as it's called now, and male headship. That God first made the man, and then he made the woman, and the woman fell into transgression first. That's what the Bible says. That's not some dude's argument. That's what the Bible says. Because that's an argument. Some dude who wrote the Bible, it's his argument. Yes, and it's God-breathed. And some he's an apostle, and he wrote it. And that's what it is. So the reason, one of the reasons a woman can't be an overseer is because she just can't have authority over a man. And there's men that just can't, just can't, just can't. It's how the world is ordered. You have male headship in the home and male headship in the church. It's how it is. That's life. But since deacons don't have any kind of headship, that doesn't preclude women. Now let's talk practically for a minute. Okay? And we know that I am not a pragmatic person. I'm not a practical person. I'm a scripture person. And sometimes what scripture says seems impractical, impractical in today's world. So be it. That's what the Bible says. But let's talk practically for a minute. When you think of what deacons were doing in those days, they were not mowing the yard at the church house and changing really high light bulbs and doing physical labor because they didn't have big church buildings like we do now. They were going around taking care of people. Men and women get sick. Women, who are you more comfortable with visiting you in your sick bed when you're lying there half naked and without your makeup on and your hair is all frizzy? Who do you want when you're a shut-in visiting? Wouldn't you want to have a woman doing some of this stuff? Especially married couples doing it together? Like a husband and wife, both of them could be a deacon, and they go over to take care of some sick person, and the husband's outside mowing the yard and replacing a, a, a rotted plank in the deck, and the woman's inside helping to clean up and... and Helping the woman to fold her laundry. I, did they fold laundry back then? I mean, did they even have laundry? I think people back then had like two shirts. <laughs> they didn't have a washing machine. Take it to the river. All right? But th think about stuff like that. Think about how much more... And Billy Graham rule, even though the Billy Graham rule is not the Bible. Think about how uh, much more practical it is to have men and women who were deacons. And think about the time that women have because they're homemakers... And they're not out in the fields like the men would have been. I think the reason that we don't have 
female deacons today in most churches, most conservative churches, is because people wrongly think the deacon is a position of authority. Now, if they're interpreting 1 Timothy 3 and they're saying, all right, it just applies to men like like it just applies, or like it is in elders, okay, fine. I get how somebody could interpret that. I could be wrong, but I don't think so. But I, I think we wouldn't even be having these conversations if we understood deacons correctly around here. This is where I live. I'm around here. Like I said, I don't know how it is in Southern California. So I don't think it's liberal or one step towards progressivism to have liberal deacons if you understand that deacons have absolutely no authority and they're not expected to teach men or anybody really. When I was getting in trouble at the demonic church of Freemasonry, Roland Springs, for challenging the sinfulness of having church members who were Freemasons, and the deacons were calling me to a meeting. I talked to the head deacon, the chairman of the deacons. Find me chairman of the deacons in scripture. And I, his name was Grant. And I said, Grant, I'm perfectly okay with coming to this meeting just so you understand that you don't have any authority as a deacon. And he goes, you're right, I don't. He agreed with me. And that was a church that had deacons but only one pastor. And do you ever hear these pastors get up there and they think, well, my chairman of the deacons, back in 20 years ago I was at this church and my, my chairman of the board of deacons. Why is he your chairman of the board of deacons? He's our chairman of the board of deacons, the church. He's our deacon, not yours. He doesn't work for you. You're not like a manager saying, well, my closer or my leadoff hitter, like he answers to you. Like, I'm a coach and I got all these little girls. I'm like, well, that's my striker. That's my goalie. That chairman of deacons doesn't belong to you, Pastor Big Shot. And by the way, that's what you have when you have a lot of these single church pastors. And there's only one. They don't have a plurality of elders. You just have one too big for his britches pastor. Touch not God's anointed. This is my board of deacons. They don't work for you. Anyway, that's a rabbit trail Walter didn't ask me to go on. Thanks for riding into the Christian commute, Walter. I appreciate it. If anybody else has a question about Christian theology or apologetics, you can write to SethDunn88 at gmail.com or dial 470-315-0875. The Christian commute is your theological roadside assistance. And yes, in case you were wondering, I do have a question for tomorrow. I think I've got two in the inbox, but I'm not sure. I want to say Martha sent it in from Florida. I'm not sure. I think it's from her. And I might have two. I might have one. But keep them coming, please. Keep them coming. And if you want a more in-depth analysis of the female deacon matter, you can go way, way back on Potomatic in the archives. you got to scroll a long way. Or you can use your Google machine and you can find the Christian commute where we were doing Timothy as the Bible chapter review. We've done the whole New Testament now, some of the books more than once, except for the last part of Matthew, Luke, John, Acts, and Revelation. We have reviewed the rest of the 
New Testament in full on the Christian commute over some 1,400 episodes in five plus years. Is it six years now? When did I start doing this? Was it 2014 that I started doing this or 2016? If it's 2014, have I been doing this for 10 years? No way. Can't be that long. I have to go back and look. Maybe I started in 15. All right. Let's go to today's show title. The Legacy of Sarah Young. You know who's dead? Sarah Young. Good riddance. The Lord doesn't take any pleasure in the destruction of the wicked, and neither do I, but good riddance to you, Sarah Young. You're a cancer on the church. And that uh, she may have died of cancer, so that seems insensitive for me to say. Sarah Young, the author of Jesus Calling, which has wasted the time of many a woman and many of an uh, effeminate man. Jesus Calling, which I have talked about on the show before, was the devotional book written by Sarah Young in the first person as if Jesus was talking to you directly. Like this, these are words revealed directly from Jesus. It was inspired by the New Age book, God Calling. Sarah Young claimed to, before the publisher changed the preface of the book, Sarah Young claimed to use the process of automatic writing, the New Age process of automatic writing, to do it, where you channel a spirit and write. And there's a very good book called Another Jesus Calling that you should order off of Amazon. That explains this. What's the name of the author? I want to say it's like Jeff or Warren or something like that. I think it's Warren Jeffs. Not Warren Jeffress. Warren, I want to say the guy's name's Warren Jeff. Something like that. He sent it to me. And it's good. And I have confiscated through charm three copies of Jesus Calling in my life. I think three in my life. I'll see somebody who has it, and I'll say, give me that. That's New Age gobbledygook. That's demonic. Please give it to me. But Jesus Calling is one of the best-selling evangelical books ever written. It has made millions and millions of dollars for the publishers and the people at the Christian bookstore. And Sarah Young had a little franchise, a little brand. She had Jesus Calling... Then she had Jesus always. I once took my children to a church nursery area. I will not name the church. And I saw in that church nursery area Jesus calling for children. So, oh, we'll have the demons who were pretending to be Jesus or the charlatan Sarah Young talking to our children as Jesus now. Sarah Young introduced a new generation to mysticism. Mysticism. So when I in the 80s when I was young, the new age movement became popular and oh so long ago Doug Groteheist, the egalitarian professor 
at Denver Theological Seminary wrote a book called Unmasking the New Age, just about how wicked, sinful, and demonic the New Age movement was. We're talking channeling and crystals and spirits and hippie women in long dresses and no bras. I don't know why that's a part of it, but it is. And that waned in popularity. But some of those foundational ideas made its way into Sarah Young's thinking. Who was Presbyterian Church in America? Like, you wouldn't expect that from them. But they did. And she claimed some vision of light around her on some hike she was on. And by the way, mysticism is nothing new. You had Catholic mystics in the Middle Ages. But she introduced this mysticism in a new way through the Christian bookstore, through the lifeways of the world. And it became a book that dumb people bought for youth. I remember somebody wrote in to Pulpit and Pen once and said, help my grandson or granddaughter's youth pastor bought all these books for them as graduate gifts. And I think we wrote the dude, and he's like, oh, I'm sorry, I'll get him different ones. And he just called. By the way, let's go back. Just if we'll, we'll rewind a little bit to the Cradle to Grave series of Youth Pastor. You know how these books get bought? The youth pastor calls the Christian bookstore. Hey, what's a good book? Yeah, because you don't know the people you're supposed to be pastoring. You're, you're, you're a cruise ship director. You're a grocery clerk sent by errand boys collect a bill. That's what you are, youth pastor. If the youth pastor and the music pastor was hanging off a cliff and I could only save one, how mad would both their families be at me when I didn't save either? I'm sorry, I'm going on a rabbit trail. And yes, I would save them both. I would save their lives. I'm using hyperbole. But Jesus Calling introduced a bunch of non-discerning people to that kind of mysticism. And first of all, you had Beth Moore saying, Ladies, the, the Lord told... Uh-oh. Oh, no. Do you guys hear that? I brought up Beth Moore talking about how how she hears from God. You know, I... I, I I bet Beth Moore was friends with Sarah Young. They both claim to have heard from God, Beth Moore in her little way, Sarah Young in her direct way, the more direct way. I wonder what Beth Moore thinks about the death of Sarah Young. Oh, this is going to be in bad taste. That's right, guys. I wasn't planning this. I wasn't planning it, but it's time. It's time for another episode. It's been a while of driving... Miss Beth! I say, I say, Miss Beth, I sure is sad to be driving you to Sarah Young's funeral this morning. I know there's going to be a lot of mourners there. This was a very popular lady. I know, I know you was friends with her in the Christian book circles. You even outsold you, Miss Beth Moore. That's amazing to me. Well, you know, Hoke, I'm not surprised that she did outsell me. 
she had such a connection with God the Holy Spirit I have to say you know I'm going you just have to forgive me I, I was a little jealous of it you know I get I get a little jealous of Priscilla Shire sometimes and a little jealous of Joyce Meyer because she can name and claim gold toilets to come to her house and I'm not ashamed of Christine Kane because I'm so much prettier than she is I'm just not jealous of her you know I can I can speak like just as good but anyway I, I just Boy, in all the times that God has given me direct divine revelation to write my stupid little books that are hermeneutically unsound, you know, he's never told me to, to write direct revelations to people. I never tried the New Age thing, Hoke. I mean, but she was just such a great woman of God that Jesus came to her and did that. Well, I don't know about that, Miss Beth Mole. It seems to me that she was doing some of that new age mumbo jumbo, that automatic writing. It could have been a devil or a demon to that woman. I don't know, Miss Mole. She might have been a charlatan. Hoke, we do not talk about women of God that way while you're chauffeuring me. Now, you, you have a lot of autonomy. You can eat whatever salmon you want to eat out of my kitchen cupboard you can pull over to the road anytime you want to make water and if I'm ever old in a nursing home you can feed me pumpkin pie in the same room at the same table but I will not stand for you Hoke on the way to Sarah Young's funeral with all the mourners to say something bad about Sarah Young. She sold millions of books. Well, Miss Miss Beth Moe, you've been selling millions of books too, but some of the stuff you'd be writing be questionable. Some of the stuff she'd be writing be questionable. I wonder how God didn't reveal to her directly that she was sick and going to die. I, I mean, maybe God could have gave her a holy gross uh, mammogram type cancer, maybe a holy gross biopsy. God be telling her what he think about everything else. He might have told Miss Sarah Young to go to the doctor first. Hope that kind of skepticism just makes me sad. That's not kind. Of, that's not the. That's not the kind of attitude that sells millions and millions of books to Lifeway to women whose husbands don't pay any attention to them and lead them. Okay, Miss Beth Moe. I mean that'll be your opinion. I guess I might not be sharing it with you. Here we go. This has been. Another episode of Driving Miss Beth. And some of you new people are like, what the heck just happened? So one of the bits I do on this show is I pretend to be the character Hoke from the movie Driving Miss Daisy. Starring Morgan Freeman and Jessica Tandy. But instead of Hoke driving Miss Daisy around, Hoke drives Beth Moore. So it's you are subjected to a really bad impression of me doing Morgan Freeman's Hope character from Driving Miss Daisy. And then a somewhat better impression of Beth Moore, which can sometimes slip into a Christine Kane impression. It's very hard for me to do my Texas accent, Texas accent, a, a Texas accent of a Baptist woman Texas accent and not slip into Australian lady, pre lady preacher accent. I'm not a linguist, but there's some connection there. Has anybody ever wondered why Beth Moore has a southern accent? 
because she's from Wisconsin. I don't know. I mean, her dad was in the Army, and they moved all around. So I don't know how she picked up that Texas accent, but she did. But that was unplanned. I was just thinking, Beth Moore started writing, you know, not just these Bible study books and spiritualizing things and making jumps that the Bible doesn't jump. But she started saying stuff like, well, God told me, God told me, and God revealed to me, putting that little bit of authority behind her book. And women ate that up. Oh, this person has a special connection. And then women really started to eat up Jesus calling because it's, it's Jesus talking to you. And tangentially, I have to say it falls under the whole Jesus is my boyfriend thing. You got all these women out there and they don't have spiritual leadership in their home from their husband. They listen to fish music. They listen to heaven when heaven meets earth with a sloppy wet kiss and my heart beats violently inside of my... They, they sing these joy, Jesus is my boyfriend type songs. They, 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 I think they want to be hugged by Jesus in the wrong way. And they, 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 they need more of that sort of that personal touch from Jesus. Like, your, your word's not enough, Jesus. I need you to talk directly to me. And uh, Jesus calling scratches that itch. And that's and it, it lofts this woman up as, as, as an author. And you, ha, you have these women, oh, if I could be like her. If I could be like that, I would give anything just to live one day like Beth Moore. If I could be like that, what would I do? Sell a million dollars at Lifeway and do what Sarah Young did. So we have a legacy of mysticism and a lack of discernment and people just believe in anything that we get from Sarah Young. Laying a Lifeway Foundation in Beth Moore. Not a hard connection to make. And what we have to do, men and women, is break this legacy. How do we start? By telling people who promote it that or buy the books or quote them that it's stupid and they shouldn't do it. The, uh, people need to do this more. And there's there's a way to say it. I don't know the way to say it. I want to give you a personal story. <laughs> and it's sort it's along the same lines. So my prom date to my senior prom is the sweetest girl, or one of the sweetest girls I know. She's such a... If you met her, you would like her. She's like... She's soft-spoken and nice and she always smiles just a very nice woman she's grown in to I mean she's I mean I, I went to prom with her when she was a kid and, but she's grown into a mother and she is active in pro-life causes she's outwardly share her faith I mean she, uh, she's such a nice person But she has zero discernment. And the other day, this is the first time this has happened to me where somebody I know personally from my town has gone to Mount Juliet to see Greg Locke. So the other day she posts like, I went to Greg Locke because I saw the movie come out in Jesus' name and I went to Greg Locke's tent revival place in Mount Juliet and this is what happened to me. And I said, here's something I did. I went to a women's shelter and I interviewed an abandoned woman 
who told me her husband had hit her and who told me her husband was in love with his secretary and who told me her husband was breaking up her family and that woman's name was Melissa Locke and it's Greg Locke's wife that he divorced. So I, I framed it that way. She framed it in a narrative. I framed it in a narrative. And then I didn't come out and say, like, you have zero discernment. But it's an example of somebody who's a nice person, who's outspoken about Christ, but they're looking for something more than what the Bible says. And that's where a lot of these books come from. When we talk about the legacy of Sarah Moore, is a legacy of people looking for something more than what the Bible says. And that's why, by the way, going back to Matthew 24, the people can be deceived by the signs and wonders of a false prophet because they're looking for something more. Deliverance ministry, which is what Greg Locke does, which is made up, Charlatan. You just want to see demons cast out. You're going to go looking for demons to cast out. Let me tell you something. If you ever come across a demon, you're going to want to cast that thing out. But you don't need to go looking for demons to cast out. But yeah, you, you want to read the Passion Translation. The, the, the Word of God isn't enough. Somebody has to go twist it and make it flowery and more exciting and more passionate than what it really says. I want something more than the Word of God. I want Sarah Young because I want something more than the Word of God. I want Greg, uh, Greg Locke's dog and pony show at the tent because I'm more than the word of God. That's what you're dealing with when you're dealing with somebody who's into these things. This person wants something more than the word of God that we already have. Something more than the gifts of the spirit that he gives us in the church. And you really got to deal with them like you would a greedy kid who's like, I want two pieces of chocolate cake. Like, kid, they don't have chocolate cake in Africa. Be happy that you have one. Two pieces of chocolate cake would not be good for you. Stop, want, well, stop wanting more than your allotment of what you're, what you're giving, what you've been given. That desire for more is very dangerous. Do I want to turn left or go straight? How do I want to get to the soccer field? Not your problem. Thanks for listening to The Christian Commute. If you know a woman or a man who's still in Jesus' calling, use the opportunity of that false prophet to death to tell them to stop getting into that stuff. I mean, just because Sarah Young's dead doesn't mean somebody else isn't going to come along and be worse, by the way. Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. Lord willing, I'll be back with you again tomorrow. Lord willing, these people who go to church at Cross Point on Thursday night will come to their senses and find something else to do on Thursday night besides going to this goat show that is Cross Point City Church that I'm driving right next to. As always, God bless. And as always, remember Christianity is not about getting saved. It's about being Thanks saved. Thanks for listening to the Christian Commute. Please send your questions about Christian apologetics and theology to SethDunn88 at gmail.com. If you are not a Christian, please remember that you can be reconciled to God through the shed blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches that all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Repent of your sins now and accept Jesus as Lord. God bless.